Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Ali, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Ed. Can we start by finding out about your background and your experience of, of youth and children's ministry? I mean, you've, you've been in this um, a, a fair bit of time, haven't you? A while, yeah. So um, going back to the mid-80s, when I started to get involved as a young person in a small youth group in my Baptist church, as I was then. And I guess I took over kind of youth work and children's work in the church in 1986. And since then, I've just been doing it wherever I found myself. Latterly, last 25 years or so, working predominantly for the Anglican Church as a youth pastor and then as a Darson Youth and Children's Advisor and now running my own thing as a Youth and Children's Ministry Consultancy. So 35 years, been passionate about children's youth and family ministry. And, and the, the organisation you run is called, called The Resource, isn't it? Which provides, yeah. well, as it says, resources for youth and children's workers in churches. Yeah, so that's mostly about um, offering training, um, support for churches, consultancy around uh, developing practice, uh, whether they're kind of feeling stuck with children's ministry or wanting to do, do youth work and they've not done it before, just helping churches navigate that and, you know, start well if they're doing something from scratch or build on something that's going well, but they're not quite sure where it's going next. So that's that's my primary offer, I guess, as a consultant. And then I enjoy part of my time I spend uh, mentoring youth and children's workers in different parts of the country. I mean, the joy of Zoom that we've discovered since the pandemic means I can uh, offer that to anybody anywhere in the country, don't necessarily have to be physically in the same space. So I do quite a bit of that. And then try and write as well. So whether that's blog articles, um, stuff about ministry in general, and it keeps me busy. And in, in the last 35 years, I mean, has there always been a sense of a, a crisis of there not being enough children and young people in the church? Or have you seen that become a particular issue in, in recent years? No, I think it's in the last five to ten years it's got worse and I think um, it went through not not necessarily even a heyday but it went through a, a patch where I felt um, a lot of churches are investing national institutions seem to be investing and by that I don't mean denominations I mean more colleges and training institutions so when Centre for Youth Ministry uh, was large um, it had centres in different parts of the country and was training a lot of people on a regular basis and I guess the professionalisation of ministry sort of started to help us see children's and youth ministry as a kind of vocational specialism in its own right. But it's felt as if the denominations have never really, I mean, they're beginning to think about it a bit more now, which I'll get onto if we've got time. But it's just never felt to be a priority nationally for denominations, whichever one you pick, Baptist, Methodist, URC, in our case, particularly thinking Church of England. We've not had a national vocational pathway that we've agreed around what it looks like to develop and grow. Um, when I did my survey back in 2019, we surveyed 630 uh, salaried youth and children's workers. 70% of those worked for Anglican churches. And of those who answered this question, which was over 500 of them, 74% said they would stay in children's youth and family ministry until retirement if they could. So certainly the vocational call is there but we just haven't realised it as a church. We've occasionally said in lovely papers at Synod, we value this as a specialism and everybody nods and agrees. And then the reality doesn't kick in where we actually make decisions that enable that to be the case across the board. 
Um, we're not under canon. We we're, we're sort of sit there as extras in terms of lay ministry, but that covers so many other things. So that's always been a challenge. And yet the church has been employing salaried workers locally for 30 plus years. We've been very slow to recognise that and appreciate that as the church nationally. And I know you've written that, that youth and children's work is, is facing a crisis. I mean, could you say a bit about, more about um, what, what that looks like and, and what its roots are, what, what the causes are? Some of that's rooted in the, the kind of the national profile not being as it could be. I think there's been a challenge historically with children's youth and family ministry sitting under education nationally. And so it's not, you know, it is what it is. But I think there's been a challenge around schools taking a key focus over time. I think that's shifting now uh, with new things coming in, like the Growing Faith Foundation with Lucy Moore. So hopefully we're going to see more joined up thinking between church, home and school. But in terms of kind of that education environment, that's where children's and youth ministry has historically sat nationally. Um, so we've had a, a mixed picture of what's been able to happen, but it's meant that that's not been a profile nationally. The profile nationally for vocational ministry has been getting ordained or reader ministry, which is under canon. So, you know, those things have taken a priority. So we've not prioritized it nationally. We've left it, left it to diocese and then individual churches to decide whether they're going to appoint and what that looks like. And that for me has been a key challenge around the financing of the local church, where they have the resources, particularly now when people are strapped and feeling we can't pay for our parish priest, never mind anything extra. That's having an impact on whether people see this as a vocation to go into. Is it sustainable to be in this ministry? You can do three years at a church and get some funding, but then the funding runs out and you have to move. Um, so all of those things are contributing to a crisis. I think part of the challenge has been people have left who've done five to ten years. So those with experience have moved on. Either they've gone into teaching, which I know quite a few have done, or they've got ordained, and that's fantastic. We're blessing the church with those who've got children's youth and family ministry experience, but it's a loss to the front line at the same time. And then churches are looking for those with experience to lead, develop, initiate, do stuff that I would think you need five years experience to make this job work. And those people have left, they're not there. And we're not bringing them in because colleges are struggling because there isn't this denominational support and backing for them. You know, our training institutions that are linked particularly with the Church of England haven't until recently, I don't think, really been thinking about how we can press into that. I do think there's potential for that to change. Growing Faith Foundation being one aspect of that. Some of the new colleges thinking of Emmanuel in the Northwest, I know they're keen to press into what does that look like to really train uh, people in lay ministry well and see youth and children's and family ministry as a key part of that. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful. I just feel like we've got to a point where action needs to happen now because we're, we are in a bit of a crisis. It's interesting. What's the link between having dedicated children's and youth workers um, in ministry in, in parish churches and the numbers of children and young people that you see in church? I mean, it sounds like an obvious question, but is there a causal link that the, the fewer you have of, of them, the fewer children and young people you'll have? Yeah, so, I mean, you could go back to the anecdote to evidence, um, which the Church of England had that fantastic, you know, huge, wide-ranging report in 2013. Then anecdote to evidence was produced in the early 2014. And if essentially it said, if it, you know, the most effective lay worker for a growing church is a children's youth or family worker. I mean, they stated it as a fact, hence the report, anecdote to evidence. 
Um, so for me, that was great. We knew that anecdotally as children's youth and family ministers that we made a difference. Um, often in my experience working with churches, just from my own kind of um, consultancy stuff, they're often the catalyst for growth, a children's worker or a youth worker or a family worker. They've got the time during the day, they can engage in schools in a way that the occasional assembly from a vicar isn't quite the same as somebody who's routinely in the school journeying with children and young people, doing more than assemblies um, in terms of relational stuff. And where that's in evidence, that's having an impact on the growth in the church. Um, David Howell, um, Phoebe Thompson, a few others did some work, I think with Leslie Francis, which was, can we evidence that a employed worker makes a tangible difference to numbers? And they found that if you employed somebody, it adds seven young people to that church's youth work. So they kind of did some research, off the, partly off the back of the anecdotal evidence and other stuff. So there's a tangible difference if you employ somebody. We had um, uh, Canon Pete White, um, Director of Children, Youth and Peace Advice, has wrote for us recently about the need for long-term investment in, in training specialist youth and children's workers. I mean, um, and he, he felt very strongly that there needed to be a dedicated training pathway and, and money to support it. And is that, do you share his concerns and agree with his proposal? Yeah, completely agree. So if you just take a conservative estimate, even now with us struggling, we've got 16,000 churches, 42 dioceses. When I was serving in Chichester Diocese as the Youth and Children's Advisor, we worked out we had about 3,000 people involved, primarily as volunteers, serving children and young people each week. Now, if you just multiply that across 42 dioceses, that's thousands and thousands of people serving children and young people from our local churches. Some of those have never had any training in children's youth and family ministry. Uh, they've had safeguarding. They might have had health and safety around food hygiene because that's required for what they're doing. But in terms of that specialist training, a little bit of input around what's involved in faith development for children, and young people, even that kind of training that leads people to think maybe this is my calling. There's nothing that kind of really nationally is given that kind of sense of trajectory or direction or potential if you're involved as a volunteer, but we've thousands. So to me, it's bonkers. We've got a national college for church army evangelists, albeit a kind of, I don't know how to describe it, an add on to the church of England, but it's recognized as such. Uh, and we have nothing of, of equivalence for children's youth and family ministry. And like I say, we've been employing them locally for 30 plus years. I think part of the challenge is we don't, we have a small, we have a really, poor record nationally of doing the same thing because we're 42 dioceses. So you can have somebody licensed somewhere, commissioned somewhere else, something else happens to them over here, and they're all kind of recognized in some way, perhaps as lay workers, but it depends what diocese you're in, what that looks like. So diocesan recognition makes a difference because it, it puts a little bit of responsibility on the diocese for this person thriving in ministry, being sustained, and hopefully if, you know, if they're passionate and they're serving children and young people in one of our churches, I'm not parochial in the sense that I think everybody should hang out in the Anglican church, but, but recognising that if we have people that are serving us in our churches, you know, we're not doing ourselves any favours if we're not seeing wider support as being a key part of that. We have some fantastic youth and children's officers nationally across our diocese. Some sadly are now doing about seven or eight jobs because dioceses are struggling. So the kind of priority that they can make around supporting people um, is changing all the time. 
And uh, we, I, I feel as if that's happened by stealth in the last four or five years. You know, people having to reapply for their own jobs and they find they've got three or four things added to it. That's really challenging when people's primary focus of joining a diocesan role was perhaps to serve children, young people and families work as volunteer or, or salaried. So, you know, some of those things, we just need to join some dots better, create better support for local churches. There's some good examples. I think Sheffield do a great thing with the Centenary Project where there's ongoing support for those that are employed at local churches. The diocese takes genuine interest in care in those posts. And in other places, there's been part funding. So a diocese will do some financial support alongside the local church just to build in the potential for that sustainability. Uh, we just need more of that. But a national college training our own, if you like, would be amazing. And obviously these things will, will cost money and need need financial investment. I mean, um, is, is there a problem with particularly post-COVID, DOS and finances, parish finances um, are in, in a difficult state? Could, could that be an obstacle? Um, I think it could be an obstacle. I think it depends what it is that we want to prioritise. I think, you know, we do we do seem to have a knack of finding money for the things that we say we value. So I guess the challenge nationally into diocese would be, do you value this ministry? And what's the cost to the church if we lose it? And it, you know, we lost half a million children and young people from the church in the nineties, and we barely batted an eyelid as we entered the two thousands. We didn't fully pay, pay attention to the youth apart report uh, that came out 25 years ago. So I kind of feel like, you know, we're running out of time to make a difference and actually say, look, we've got to do some things, maybe some radical things. Um, it's interesting that around estate ministry, for example, there's been a ramping up of we need to take this more seriously and we will put money into it. And that's nationally been communicated. It's that kind of commitment I'm looking for from the national church, not seeing children's and youth ministry as an add on to the grand kind of strategic plan for the next five years but seeing it as integral and that includes putting money into it i think that's there in some in part with the growing faith foundation i'd love to see that embedded across all departments in the church of england's institutions so it just is the story we're communicating we value children's youth and family ministry we're going to invest in it perhaps you can move on to talk about um, the launch of paraclesis which is just launched today as we're speaking on on monday hey, um, can, you, can you tell us about the background to that, how that came about and what, what it intends to do, how it intends to address the crisis? So um, three, three years ago, so going back pre-COVID, I carried out a research, kind of piece of research for the Bishop of Leicester, um, Martin Snow, who's also the lead bishop for um, lay ministry in the Church of England. And I think I was venting my spleen about things being challenging and terms and conditions for salaried workers. He spotted that and then said, OK, Ali, let's put your money where your mouth is, let's do a piece of research and find out what the actual challenges are. And I'm very grateful to him for spotting that and then supporting me to do that. So off the back of the survey, we met with some youth and children's advisors. We had various kind of forums where we talked about the findings from the survey that we conducted. And as I said earlier, 630 plus completed that and gave us some really good data. A lot of things we found were relatively common, um, people feeling um, in places, while there was always some good good work going on for lots of people, we found quite strongly coming through a lack of line management and supervision that was good, a lack of feeling supported beyond their own parish, 
and understood in terms of what they were doing in ministry. Mentoring was a key aspect that was mentioned by something that people felt they needed but didn't get. And then in terms of training, a whole load of things around leadership, leading up. So thinking about how you influence leadership in the church if you are employed but you're not the church leader. Thinking around mental health and well-being in, in ministry and what that looks like. And also, as I mentioned, 74% saying they'd want to stay in ministry till retirement. What does it look like for there to be a sustainable vocational pathway? And that came through again quite strongly from the research that we looked at. So paraclesis, uh, taken from the Greek, really just means to be alongside, to journey with, to be an advocate for. You know, it's where we get paraclete, that sense of the Holy Spirit being the comforter and the one who's alongside us. So that's why the name is what it is, because we want that to be what the organisation does. And essentially, it's an association for children's youth and family ministers, salaried, part-time, full-time, lead volunteer. So somebody, you know, lots of our churches don't have salaried ministry, but they have lead volunteers who in some places are doing as much as somebody might be salaried. Um, they're so passionate about serving children, young people and families. So it's there as an association they can join. Um, with joining, we've set up a number of discount schemes. So if you join, for example, you can get 10% off buying stuff in Youthscape store online. You can get 10% off BRF books from their online store. You can get 10% off the wonderful Godventure store by Victoria Beach. And a load of other things we're hoping are going to come online as we go. And then you also get, if you join as an associate member, so that's individuals joining, um, the opportunity, because we felt this quite strongly from doing the survey, the opportunity for a free mentoring session. Um, so you can get that every year, a free session. And we've got a, a, a lineup of 40 plus fantastic mentors. So practitioners are experienced in delivering mentoring and support to people, whether that is, I don't want to get too precious about the term, but you know whether that means coaching, a little bit of CPD for an hour or so, just around certain things that they want to develop in their ministry, Maybe people are at a crossroads, not quite sure which direction to go, that kind of thing. So that free session, they can get one of those every year. My hope would be churches see the value of that and then pay for their salaried staff to have that long term. But the mentoring session is really a taster for the worker to see, wow, this, this objective voice from outside my context is really helpful as I develop and grow ministry. And I sometimes think what clergy forget is some of those things are available to them on a regular basis without they can opt into them or not you can have spiritual direction perhaps from your diocese and have somebody meet with you you've got chapter meetings where you get together and support each other churches often pay for their pen clergy to have retreats and days away and things that they they just automatically get um, and it's wanting to create a kind of atmosphere and environment where people feel they can thrive in ministry and um, being an associate member there's those kind of benefits and then alongside it, Paraclis is offering a church charter for churches to sign up to and agree seven core values that they're going to put in place to make sure they're offering the best that they can for somebody who comes and works for them, either for current staff or if they're thinking about employing somebody in the future. Um, and that's all up on the website now, kind of what the charter looks like, how that would work. Um, the same for associate members you know, finding out this is what it costs to join. There is a cost for full-timers and part-timers. Students, if people are students in ministry, I know I talked about them being a bit like hen's teeth, but they do exist. 
So if you're a student in Youth Children's and Family Ministry, currently on a course with an academic year left, so you're not finishing this summer, you're finishing maybe next summer, you can join for free um, and then access to the benefits that others would receive, including the free mentoring. And, and also, I should just say, if this is going out in the next little while, if you're one of the first 50 to join, um, there are some little bonus benefits. So three people are going to receive some resource bundles in excess of 75 quid. I think nearly near 100 quid, to be honest, with the amount of stuff I've got coming in for those. They're also going, everybody who joins, who's one of the first 50, is going to receive a few bits through the post. Um, but those three bundles are for three people. Then there's going to be uh, the opportunity for three of those 50, so that the more kind of offers there are, the easier it's going to be to get something, isn't it? But there's um, there's a place called Tall Trees, which is a retreat centre. Um, it's just a room in a garden, but it's wonderfully done, and they're willing to offer three people 24 hours there um, with... Uh, spiritual accompaniment hour and breakfast as part of that so uh, we just want to make sure we're offering stuff that's going to bless people and encourage them in ministry and one other thing that people that one of those 50 will get is 90 minutes worth of training that will happen over zoom for their team whatever that is children's youth families and sadly for them i'll be delivering that so i'm sure that'll be great absolutely um so it sounds like one of the things we're seeking to address is, is the isolation felt by some children's and, and youth workers. Yeah, so we, if you join as a member, we've we've established some forums on the site so that uh, once you've joined as a member, you can't see those at all if you just look at the site. You can only see some things once you've logged in and you've got membership. But then the forums appear and on those we've started a few conversations, but they're really for people to to have conversations with one another around things that they're caring about. When I did the launch lunch today, so when are we, Monday the 4th, somebody came who, I mean, they're, they're incarnational in terms of the way their job works. They live in the community. They feel as if they're almost on all the time. When they walk their dog, they're doing ministry. When they're in the shops, they're doing ministry because of the context in which they're working and how they're being known uh, and understood to be serving and working in that community. And yet it's also quite isolating. Uh, because they're on an estate, because they're distant a little bit from the church, because they're doing out work rather than, you know, discipleship and stuff with church families. Um, so we really want to create a space where people, whatever form of ministry they're in with children, young people and families, feel paraclesis will be their space and they can join in. And there'll be those forums and other spaces where we hope to bring encouragement. As we grow, he says, praying, hopefully, as we grow, um, we'll commission content that that we're not aware exists elsewhere. So we're not keen on duplicating effort. What we'd love to do is point people to stuff that exists. If we see it and it's good, we'll point people to it. But we also want to commission content that will be really helpful for our members, whether that is for clergy, church leaders, around really good line management and supervision. So maybe three sessions that just a short 20 minute punchy sessions that take them through how to do that really well. And the great thing is you can watch a video online. Nobody knows that you're getting training in an area that you are lacking in rather than rocking up somewhere and people go, oh, I thought you would have known this by now. So just trying to be helpful for church leaders. If they feel a little bit like I should really know what I'm doing, just access our online training when that comes online. And also for salaried workers um, and those who are lead volunteers, 
what does a continuing professional development look like? And we're hoping to partner with others and look at how we can develop really good content they can access and their membership gets them that stuff for free. If anybody's got any questions or they're not sure uh, whether it would work for them or they're not, or they just want to ask about it, they can drop me an email at ali at paraclesis.org.uk. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.